Thanks so much, Ryan, for your leadership to us, to the worship team as well. I want to remind everyone, it is the first Sunday of the month, so we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper in the concluding moments of our service this morning, so begin to prepare your hearts for that. It's good to see you. I want to spend just a couple of moments uh, as well at the first part of our uh, service in a time of corporate prayer. A couple of things, I think, pressing in on us. Um, John Brock, many of you know John. John was uh, an elder here at Faith Bible Church and uh, has served faithfully in, in different capacities. John has been put on hospice care, and so um, talked to Lonnie again last night, and uh, things are good. They're, they're, they're very, very grateful for um, sort of the position that they're in. They're grateful for the way the church has been ministering to them. Uh, but we want to pray for John. Uh, we don't know how much time. She doesn't know how much time. It uh, could be weeks even, uh, but just uh, pray for peace in that home. Also, uh, we can't help but watch the news here this weekend and not be uh, led to pray for uh, the city of El Paso, for the churches and the pastors there. Uh, the events yesterday were pretty horrifying, uh, and so we want to ask God for his grace and mercy in that situation. And then another little thing to, to pray about this morning, in the first service, uh, Carol Black actually uh, fainted in our service, and um, we had to call uh, EMT, and, and they were able to come and get her, but I should announce that she's fine. She did go to Mercy, um, but uh, there's, there's nothing serious going on, uh, but she does ask for uh, your prayers. So go to the Lord with me, and let's pray together. Father, as we've sung and confessed together this morning, you are the king. You're the king of our heart. You're the king in this place. And you are marvelous and majestic and almighty God. You are our sovereign over all things. And you're not only sovereign over all things, you, you care about us and, and you love us. And you actually listen to us when we pray to you because of the relationship we have with your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how we come this morning. We come on that basis, on the basis of our relationship to Jesus. And we know because of that you hear us, you listen to us, and we want to come on behalf of the Brocks. We ask that you'd be with John. Lord, give him a, just a real sense of your presence and your strength in these moments. Be with Lonnie as well as she gives him care and love in these last days and, and weeks of, of their married life together. Lord, we thank you for his powerful testimony uh, for the way in which he's approaching all of this and even ministering now um, as, as he seems to be the one in need of, of so much ministry. Lord, we pray for uh, the city of El Paso. We don't exactly know how to pray for that situation other than uh, just pleading for your, your mercy and grace on those family members and friends that, that so senselessly lost loved ones yesterday. Uh, we ask for, for churches in that community to, to rise up and just shine the light of Jesus Christ um, abroad, across all spectrums, um, that people find Christ through this um, because maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. So God, use this somehow. Use those churches to, to be a blessing in that community. Lord, be with us now as we, as we go into your word. Thank you for the time we've had to, to worship you together, uh, for, the, for the encouragement that's going on already uh, in our body this morning. And now I pray that you go ahead of us and prepare our heart, hearts to hear your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you've been hit or miss in recent weeks. I
did mention, if you have, we have opened phase one of our Greater Things Capital Project. Phase one is this area to the southwest part of our campus. Uh, you can see it when you drive in. The construction fencing in the coming weeks is also going to shrink to the uh, east a bit, so we're going to begin to use that, uh, that south parking and that south entry. Uh, but the space is open. We used it for the first time last week. Early childhood is on the bottom floor, some elementary, and then a large student space is on the second floor. Last week was a really exciting day, especially for our students, uh, but that, that place is operational. Uh, it is on the other end of our campus, so we realize those of you with small children, uh, nursery babies, that kind of thing, you are getting your steps in when you come to church. Um, and, and we're going to try to fix that in the months to come. In two months, we move into uh, our new worship venue, which is in much closer proximity uh, to the children's drop-off area. So anyway, just be ready for that. That's going to be an exciting day as well here at Faith Bible. If you've been gone, We've just finished 25 weeks or so in the book of First Peter. It was a teaching series that we started back in the month of January. I preached four or five sermons in that series. And if you were paying attention, you may have noticed that I drew the four biggest problem passages in First Peter. One of the passages being the most puzzling in the entire New Testament. Uh, as we were planning, Mark told me that it just happened to land that way. And uh, I still don't really believe him, but that fact aside, I, I think that the First Peter series was rich and encouraging and, and very, very important for our church in the times in which we live. And I've heard similar feedback from many of you as well as we've moved through it. But when given the opportunity to preach outside of a series, as I'm doing today, it can sometimes be... Uh, hard to nail down a text. So what I like to do often is just return to our church's core values. And if you're wondering what those core values are, they're on the cover of your bulletin every week. They're right there under the name of our church. They are believe the gospel, grow in Christ, connect with one another, and serve the church and the world. And these are the things that we care most about at Faith Bible Church. We do care about other things, but this is sort of, sort of the irreducible core and perhaps you've never noticed, but those four values, they are all verbs. They're action words. So they're not mere abstractions. Rather, they are practical, real-life activities that we want to see at work in the life of our church, at work in the lives of our collective members. So for the sake of just clarity and consistency, I like to return to these values whenever I can, because I see this as an opportunity to to drive them deeper into what we are doing here at Faith Bible Church. And in preaching these values over the last few years, I, I've preached three sermons on our value of believing the gospel. And then I've preached on our serve value with another sermon on that coming again next week. And then I've also preached a couple of sermons on the connect value, but I've never preached on our value that says we care about people growing in Christ. So we not we won't we want people not only believing, not merely connecting, but importantly, we want them growing. And, and that's important to us because the Bible is full of, of references concerning spiritual growth and maturity. In 1 Peter 2.2, in the book that we just finished studying, Peter says, Crave spiritual milk so that you might grow into the fullness of your salvation. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, may the Lord make your love grow and overflow. 
In 2 Thessalonians, Paul commends the church because their faith is flourishing, he says, and they are all growing in their love for each other. Paul, he tells his protege Timothy to train himself to be godly. What does training imply? Growth, strengthening, right? And then the writer of Hebrews says, let us become mature. And on and on and on I could go. The New Testament is constantly urging the church, urging individual Christians toward growth and maturity in Christ. So just as the church is growing throughout the world, just as the global body of Christ grows in in, in breadth and in number, the individual members of that body are to grow as well. Christian growth and maturity, it's important because as with most things, growth gives evidence to life. Growth gives evidence to life. A a pulpit doesn't grow, a, a, a pew doesn't grow, but you you are meant to grow. I would be greatly concerned if my 11-year-old son didn't grow. 11-year-old boys are supposed to grow. Along with stinking, that's just what they do, <laughs> is they grow. If Jack wasn't getting any bigger, we'd, we'd have him checked out. We, we'd want to know if there was a serious condition that might be impeding his physical growth. Well, lack of spiritual growth and maturity, that's a serious condition as well. Why? Because Christians are supposed to grow. If they're not, it's worth checking out. It's worth looking into. And furthermore, stunted spiritual growth, it, it robs Christians of joy and peace. And, and ultimately, if there is no growth happening in your life, that lack of maturity, it serves to warn you of possible hypocrisy or even apostasy. Now, we won't all grow at the same rate or at the same time or in the same ways, but but over the long haul, over years and decades, if if we cannot see spiritual growth and maturity, what we can determine is that there is a huge, huge problem. And what I mean is, if you're not a person who's gradually becoming more grateful, more generous, more patient, more more loving, more self-controlled, if you're not making progress in those fruits of the Spirit, Just like you diagnose a child who isn't growing, or you diagnose the soil in a garden that won't grow a tomato, if if you're not gradually but tangibly maturing, you need to look deeply into your soul, and you need to seek the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Because here's the truth. When the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit is at work, growth happens. When the gospel is preached and the Spirit is at work, growth happens. We see that both corporately for a church as it grows in size, and then individually as Christians grow in their maturity. So this morning, I'm going to talk about three ways that people grow. I'm going to use two different texts of Scripture to do it, one from Hebrews, one from Second Peter, and the outline is going to go like this. People grow in the greenhouse of community. That's point one. Point two, people grow when grace and knowledge increase. And then point three, people grow when, when growth isn't the ultimate goal. So let's dive into that first point. People grow in the greenhouse of community. Turn to Hebrews chapter 3, if you would. Hebrews chapter 3. This first idea intentionally intersects with our connect value. The the underlying benefit of being closely connected in Christian fellowship isn't just friendship. It's actually spiritual growth. And here's what I mean, and I've said this to you before. You won't know God intimately without a meaningful connection to a fellowship of believers. 
You won't know God intimately without a, a meaningful connection to a fellowship of believers. And I'm not saying you can't be a Christian. I'm not saying your faith isn't real. I'm just saying that the growth that flows from intimacy with God simply won't be much of a reality for you. It just won't. It was John Wesley who once said, there is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. English poet William Blake wrote, I sought my soul, but my soul I could not see. I sought my God, but my God eluded me. I sought my brother, and I found all three. And why is that true? Well, let's read Hebrews 3, 13, and 14. Actually, let's back up to verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is God's word. May he write its truth on our hearts. So the writer of Hebrews is saying to believers, if you look at the larger context, you'll see this clearer. He's saying, hey, remember the Israelites. Take care that you don't end up like the Israelites, that, that you don't give way to, to evil and unbelief, because what you got to do is you got to live your life in a way where every day you're being encouraged and encouraging others in the Lord, where, where you're exhorting and spurring one another on, where you're reminding each other of the truth of, of the gospel. Every day you need this, every day. Now remember, this verse is written before telephones and texting and Facebook and, and daily devotions that are delivered to your inbox, which is to say that the spiritual encouragement in mind here is likely always physical, in-person kind of contact. And so given those factors, exhort one another every day was to have meaningful contact each and every day, which makes it very easy to conclude that, that the Hebrews, what, what Paul is, or the, excuse me, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, what he's wanting is for Christians to have intentional, close-knit community. And if we don't have that, what happens? The text tells us in verse 13, we'll be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You might underline deceitfulness there. Deceitfulness means sin won't just boldly and, and grossly appear before you and grab a hold of you. No, it's going to deceive you. It's, it's going to trick you into thinking that you're okay. It, it'll tell you that that fellowship with all of those odd people at church is just awkward and unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it, it'll fool you into thinking that, that confessing your sin to one another is just outrageous and embarrassing, and, and who would ever do that? Sin will deceive you, and, when it, and once it's done that, it's going to harden you going to harden you. And so even if you study your Bible consistently and, and listen to the best podcast preachers and read a bunch of theology books, even if you've got all that going on, but you're not in community with other serious believers, you're at risk of being deceived and hardened. That's what this verse implies. Not actually growing despite your best efforts, but stunted, stunted by sin. What sin exactly? Is it the sin of lust or greed? Maybe. But primarily, it will be the sin of your self-centeredness, your self-focus, your selfishness. Think about this. When, when the selfish person comes to church, they typically they don't like it very much. And that's because they've not given themselves to it. And when you haven't given yourself to it, 
really, you can only be critical of it. Critical of its music or its parking or its people, what the people are wearing or the prayer requests that are being shared. It all just seems so beneath that kind of person. And these self-centered people, they, they hop around and they look for a church that might be good enough for them. But it's an impossible game. They, they never find it because their conceit will never allow it. Listen to C.S. Lewis. He, he outlines this eloquently. He says, when I first became a Christian, I thought that I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology, and I wouldn't go to the churches and gospel halls. I disliked very much their hymns, which I considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education, and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns I held in contempt were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in dirty boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. Committing to a local church breaks you out of your solitary conceit. It, it, it focuses your heart on the needs of other people. And if your attention is giving to the needs of others, that can do nothing but grow you and mature you. And really, it can grow you and mature you in ways that nothing else can. You may know that we have something called ABFs at Faith Bible Church, Adult Bible Fellowships. And these groups serve an important purpose. And whether you're in an ABF or not, let me tell you how they benefit our people. First of all, they connect our people, which is a value. But more than that, they take people who might not have otherwise been friends, might not choose to hang out regularly. And because of a shared relationship with Christ, these people spend themselves, they commit themselves to serving and loving and praying for one another, exhorting one another, as the text says. And through that consistent loving and praying and serving and exhorting, people are less likely to remain self-centered and therefore sin-deceived. Are ABFs or, or other forms of accountability that you might find here, are they a tough commitment? Yes, absolutely they are. Because you're committing to a people that you might not choose to commit to if it were entirely up to you. These, not, these might not be the people you'd call your best friends, but at the same time, they're supremely valuable people. Why is that? Because your commitment to one another can keep you from deception. It can keep you from the deceit of sin and certainly out of the way of your solitary conceit. Biblical community is, as this point says, it's like a greenhouse. The environment of a greenhouse is designed so that things will grow. Biblical community is the environment we need to grow. A greenhouse, it maintains the right temperature, the right light exposure, the right moisture. The, the fragile plants in a greenhouse are, are shielded from the harsh elements. In a greenhouse, things grow. And just as plants need time and light and moisture to grow, so it is with each of us. Maybe not those exact ingredients, but Pastor Ray Ortland, he says this in a book that the elders read together last year. He says, people who come into the church need three things to grow. They need the gospel, plus safety, plus time. You might write that down. The gospel, plus safety, plus time. Again, what's the gospel? The gospel is good news for bad people. It's the truth that repentant sinners can be forgiven of any sin at any time on the basis of the righteous life and shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And you and I, 
We need continual exposure to that gospel, constant immersion, wave upon wave of grace and truth. You know, if you've had enough of the gospel, then I can just tell you this, you're in the wrong church. We're not going to let up on the gospel. It's not going to happen here. They need the gospel. What is safety? A sa- safety is a non-accusing environment, not, not embarrassing anyone, no manipulation, no oppression, no condescension or shame, just respect and sympathy and understanding. It's a, it's a gospel culture where sinners can safely confess and just unburden their souls to one another. And then what is time? Time means no pressure. No deadlines on growth. Yes, there's urgency because growth is important, but there's not hurry because no one changes quickly as you may have seen. And we know that God is patient with us. That's how a church that acts like a greenhouse must be. It's an environment that that oozes gospel, provides safety, and just gives plenty of time. And if we provide that, then through the Spirit's power, we're going to see growth. Let's move to the second point. People grow when grace and knowledge increase. There's a typo at the heading of uh, your note page. You should be in 2 Peter 3, not 1 Peter 2. So 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. God's word says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, last words, last words are very important. They're always important. William Wallace, the the 13th century Scottish patriot, his final words, or in his case, his final word was the cry, freedom. Now, I don't know that definitively, but I've seen Braveheart dozens of times. And I'm going to take that as the truth. Freedom there in that last scene. Stonewall Jackson, who had been inadvertently shot by his own men, he said, let us pass over the river and rest under the shade of the trees. Those were his last words. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he he finished his life with with a simple but profound statement. He said, we are beggars, this is true. We are beggars, this is true. Pablo Picasso, in contrast, he was the abstract artist. He, he said just before he died, drink to me, drink to me, which, of course, is very opposite from Jesus. Jesus, who, who roared from the cross, his final word was to telestai, it is finished, and then he breathed his last. And these words that I just read, these we can say are Peter's last words. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We know that Peter, along with many of the other apostles, all but John, he was executed. He was executed during the reign of, of Nero, probably in about 68 AD. He was crucified upside down, legend says. It's an event that likely happened shortly after writing these words, writing the book of Second Peter. And so we can say that that Peter's dying wish was to see Christians, the ones in front of him, and Christians for all time, meaning you, was to see you growing. And why was this important for Peter? Well, verse 17 tells us, because lawless people, the people he had been warning them about and correcting them through the entire letter of 2 Peter, he's saying they threatened to carry you away. They're going to cause you to lose your stability. It's a very similar warning to what we see in Hebrews chapter 3. 
And so you're getting the impression that there's no neutral ground in the Christian life. You're either growing or being carried away. You're either maturing or or being deceived by sin. You're either stable or unstable. Peter's desire is to see Christians growing. And, and, And that desire is the outflow of a realization where the world around you is always trying to get you to buy in to its error. You're either giving into the world's thinking or you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's really no neutral ground. There's been a tragic story come out here in the last couple of weeks uh, about a former pastor, a guy named Joshua Harris. If, if you sort of grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s, you probably, and you were in the church, you probably saw a book of his called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was the author of that, that book early in his 20s. He went on to pastor for many, many years wrote several other books, one book called Dug Down Deep that I passed out uh, to several people. It was a book on doctrine. It was a great book. Well, he left his pastorate in Maryland because of some bad circumstances, and he went all the way across the country, actually into Canada, to Vancouver. And he's been studying there for a number of years, and he just came out in recent weeks to say that he's left his wife, and he's not going back into the pastorate, and he's even left Christianity. And he actually explained some other reasons why, and What you saw in his confession was someone who had thoroughly given in to the world's thinking and abandoned the truth of Christian orthodoxy, failed to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's unpack that little phrase. Let's let's talk through what it means to grow in grace and knowledge. How do we grow in grace? Well, let's first think about what grace is. Grace is God bestowing favor upon us even though we don't deserve it. Grace is God bestowing great favor upon us even though we don't deserve it. So then how do we grow in grace if grace is in God's hands to dispense? Isn't our growing in grace up to him? If it's undeserved, how do we acquire it? Do do we acquire it by becoming more undeserving? More sinful? Just by rebelling and, 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 and sinning more? Well, no, because Paul tells us, shall we keep on sinning that grace may, may abound? By no means. That's not the answer. That's not the tact. We grow in grace, not by becoming more undeserving, but by grasping every day just how undeserving we already are. That's how we grow in grace. And here's a practical litmus test. If you can sing the, the great old hymn, Amazing Grace and not identify very closely with that word wretch, saved a wretch like me, if you don't identify with the word wretch, you probably need to grow in grace. If the wretch is another person and not you, you need to grow in grace. Erwin Lutzer, longtime pastor of Moody Church, he tweeted this out late last week. He wrote, you cannot understand who you really are and what grace is unless you understand sin, specifically your sin. Furthermore, a a person who has grown in grace, what they actually come to understand over time is that suffering and pain and loss, all those horrible things, they are also very often grace. And so let me just kind of crudely illustrate that point. Back to the, the greenhouse or the plant analogy, you know what makes plants grow? I mean, besides sunlight and moisture? Manure. And sometimes you have to go through, fill in your own word for manure, to really grow, don't you? 
And what you have to believe is that manure, or whatever you call it, that's grace. Growing takes grace, grace upon grace, and that grace comes in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes it's kind, and sometimes it's just brutal. And if you continue to see yourself as as undeserving of God's gracious love and mercy, you're going to continue to grow in his grace. Grace just won't be what saved you. It'll be attached to everything in your life. You're going to see see grace everywhere. And through that perspective, you'll be growing in grace. Peter then says in verse 18, we're to also grow in knowledge. And this point has more obvious handles than growing in grace. How do we grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think we grow there chiefly by looking to where Christ is revealed, by looking at the scriptures which means your spiritual growth is connected to your increased knowledge of God's Word, which means at Faith Bible Church, we're going to commit ourselves to teaching the Bible. That's what we're doing here. And the upshot of that commitment is we're going to grow then in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And just so practically, what does that look like here at Faith Bible Church? Well, here's just a few ways. A couple of years ago, A couple of years ago, our children's Sunday school curriculum changed. We went from a curriculum that focused on kind of basic Bible stories to a curriculum that teaches our children the story arc of the Bible. So not the Bible in isolated freeze frames, but really the unified whole. And what that means is this. Gone are the lessons that say to our kids, you need to be brave because Daniel was brave. You need to have wisdom because Solomon asked for wisdom. That's not really what it's about anymore. It's a curriculum that, that, that fits those great stories into God's redemptive plan. And there's a huge difference in that. The old curriculum is about how you can be a better person. The new curriculum is about how God purposed to save a people through the redeeming work of his son. And just said more plainly, you better understand the individual stories when you see the whole story. And so that's what it's about. Growing in knowledge here also looks like our Awana ministry. Awana is for kids three years old to fifth grade. They have these little vests they wear around. Badges are all over them. They look like generals and colonels and everything once the year comes to an end because they're so decorated. But they meet on Wednesday nights. And and what's the purpose of Awana? Awana is to get God's word into the hearts and minds of your kids because when kids memorize scripture, they do not forget it. Truth gets locked away in their brains for the rest of their life. I can recite songs and commercials from the 1980s, but I didn't go to church growing up, so I do not have a reservoir of Scripture in my head. Our kids here, they, they do. Growing in knowledge of God's Word. Student ministry, our girls' middle school Bible study this summer, they had a curriculum that was called Seamless. And it was simply connecting the stories of the Bible into the unified whole, like I talked about just a minute, minute ago. My daughter, they really benefited from it. And then it looks like expository preaching. And that's a commitment Faith Bible Church made a long, long time ago. And expository preaching happens when a preacher lays open a biblical text so that its original meaning is brought to bear on the lives of the contemporary listener. It's a call to deliver from the pulpit what already has been delivered in the Scripture. And because we want to see people grow, we have sold out to this kind of preaching. And what we have to remember... What we have to remember is that the Bible, as we look at it and care so much for it, it's not a magic book that you, that you open at random for, for in-the-moment spiritual guidance. It's not a, an archive of inspirational thoughts that are designed to fill up Hallmark cards. 
It's not a set of prescriptions for moral self-improvement. What it is, is it's special revelation. It's how God speaks to us. It's breathed out by him. It's his very very word. And so the point is, when Mark preaches scripture, when you read scripture, you are confronted by the voice of the living God, and God's word is invincibly powerful. It's not going to fail in accomplishing its purposes. And what that means for us here at Faith is that the word is the hero for us, not the preacher. The word gets the focus, not the man opening it. And so know this, when, when we come to Scripture, whether, whether preaching it or, or reading it, we should be expectant that it's going to change us. We should expect it to push us and grow us, expect it to somehow shape us more fully into the image of Jesus Christ. Last point, very briefly. People grow, growth is not the goal. Let's just revisit the, the last half of verse 18 there in 2 Peter 3. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. People who exhibit spiritual growth, they grow not because they love to grow. They grow because they love the glory of Jesus Christ. Only four of the New, Testament 20, New Testament's 21 epistles end in a doxology or, or a glory statement. And this is one of, one of them. To him be the glory. To him. Not to us. We don't want the glory. We don't want a bunch of mature people in this church just to have a bunch of awesome people around. No, we know that we are undeserving. We're wretched sinners. We're wholly dependent upon God's grace. There's nothing impressive about us or about our our infantile growth. What we want is God's glory, not our own. There are no heroes in this church. Sure, there's some good examples, some honorable men and women, women, but the the glory in this church doesn't belong to them. The glory belongs to Jesus Christ, and Peter gives us a great reminder of that here. And here's ultimately my point. If you are passionately obsessed with Jesus Christ, that is both the fuel and the product of your spiritual growth. It's both the fuel and the product of your spiritual growth, your passion, your obsession with Jesus Christ. People who grow to be the best at at, at basketball or baseball or or, or golf, why are they so good? Why have they committed their lives to being the best? You ever ask yourself that? They do it because they love the game. And, And they couldn't do it if they didn't love the game because getting to that level, it just demands too much of them. It's it's too hard. They gotta love the game. And it's the same with your life and mine. The goal of our spiritual growth is not to get inducted into some Christian hall of fame. That would be just the lamest place ever. Because this isn't about us. Who cares about us? Growth and maturity is for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's why we're made. The Westminster Catechism says it, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Pastor John Piper attacks an exclamation point on the end of that, when he writes in his classic book, Desiring God, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And maybe you're here and you are not satisfied in God, and you don't even know what that looks like. You're seeking satisfaction in all kinds of other things, in all kinds of other places, and in all kinds of other people. And truth be told, all of that stuff is falling short of any real satisfaction, because really there's no true glory in it. Only the glory of Jesus Christ is satisfying. Only living for his fame and his honor is something that's really going to drive you to the end of your days. 
So if you're without that satisfaction, if you're without that life's mission to live for his glory, I invite you into a relationship with him by just laying down your life, confessing that you've trusted and sought a thousand other things, but you're going to put that aside and look to Jesus to be your savior. Do that today. Talk with somebody before you leave here. Make sure that that happens. And so as we talk about glory, that's going to feed our sermon for next week. Glory is also the fuel for missions. It's the fuel for our growth. It's the fuel for the growth of of global Christianity as well. We can get ready for that. Let's pray together and we'll go to the Lord's table. Father, thank you for this time and place and people. It's a blessing to be here. It's good to gather in this way. I pray that hearts are encouraged. I pray that your word here that we've looked at, these two passages in Second Peter and in Hebrews, Lord, they would, they would cut to the heart of us. And Lord, I thank you for the ways in which we observe these realities playing out in our church family, in ABFs, in accountability relationships, in discipleship. Lord, that's a testament to your grace, and we look to you for more and more of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.